unlucky for some, but today you are listening to episode 13. Our guest is Jacqueline Rogers. Jacqueline is the creator, founder, and franchisor of the Athena Network. Geared towards female executives and entrepreneurs, the Athena Network is committed to amplifying and empowering women. My talk with Jacqueline left me feeling just that. I enjoyed her stories of her transition from the corporate world to coaching to ultimately building an international franchise networking successful business. I always love investigating the human side of business figureheads. Listening to Jacqueline talk about her upbringing within an RAF family just colours the picture more as you hear her stories about her career and her success develop. This is Jacqueline's story. Enjoy. You are listening to the So Driven Podcast with me, your host, Serena Dodd. Each week, we will dive deep into the inner workings of leaders. We will talk about their story, their challenges, their triumphs, and ultimately what drives that quest for success. Wanting to listen to a corporate type of approach to leadership? I'm afraid you're in the wrong place. Here, we like to be raw, a bit silly, progressive, and 100% unconventional. Jacqueline, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Look, I just wanted to start off with a quote that I read on your bio on the Athena website. You know when you've reached your potential, when your life feels effortless, purposeful, full of possibilities, and you still have time to buy shoes. Do you feel like you're meant to be where you are right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think after a very long and turgid corporate career, this is definitely where I'm meant to be. Um, and it's all about serving women. It doesn't matter what I do, whether I'm coaching, mentoring, or being a franchise or be a Athena network. It's all about service, everything that I can do to support. Yeah. I want to go into Athena and networking and make that sort of the bulk of this particular podcast. But I do want to start off by talking about the sort of early stages of your life and being part of an RAF family. And what did that mean for you growing up? I didn't know any different. You know, you don't know the label of the jar you're in, do you? That was my life. I didn't know that there was a different life. So for me, it was really normal to move every three years. It was really normal to be excited about the anticipation of not knowing where my father was going to be posted to. So that really reflected on us as kids as well. We were as excited about where we were going to be going. I just didn't know any different. I only knew different when I went to boarding school. And then I realized that other people's lives were very different to the one that I had lived. So I was 11, 12. So as a late starter at the boarding school, I'm, I think it was, I was nearly in second year before I started there. So for me, it was the way that it was and I loved it. I miss it now. I really miss it now. Yeah. The camaraderie. I think it's one of the reasons I created Athena because I was looking for something very similar, not a military organization, but certainly looking for, for that interior camaraderie and um, community, really looking for that. What parts of growing up like that do you think have helped you later on in your life? Resilience for sure, uh, particularly now, because the, the time that you're recording is through the pandemic. and. That has really helped me in terms of my resilience. There, there was a real attitude of, you don't sit around whining, you just get on with it. That was always the attitude at home. You know, we were 
we were taught to be resilient. And, and also the other thing that we were taught inadvertently was that change is good. So the, I was never scared about all of these postings. It was, I, you know, my mother, and not so much my father, but my mother would be like, you'll make new friends, it'll be a new school, you'll have a new teacher. So all of those things for me, they built up this anticipation about change. I'm one of the very few people I know who gets excited when things happen that mean we have to change. So I'll give you an example of that when I was working in corporate and every, every January, there would be a change. There'd be a change in the organizational structure, some teams, the way that we would work together. Everybody else spent Christmas worrying about it. You know, what's going to happen when we get back in January? For me, it was like another Christmas gift. It was like, I can't wait. This is going to be amazing. So that in and of itself being, and again, I, I don't think my mother did it to teach me resilience. I think she, did it she didn't want a whining brat for a daughter. He was always going, I haven't got any friends. Nobody wants me. So she was just you know, there, there was lots of coaching going on, I guess, without her knowing that that's what she was doing. I think the other thing as well, that when I reflect on it, is the ability to just fit in. So I'm quite chameleon-like. I can fit into a community. And I, then after a while, people go, they don't know how long I've been there or how long I haven't been there. It feels like I've been there forever because I've just learned to adjust to the community. And, and I take my time, so I'll sit and I'll wait and I'll wait and I'll wait. And that then I'm able to garner those relationships and build on those as well. And I think a lot of that had to do with the military upbringing. You know, you didn't just bowl in and go, ta-da, it's me, you know, <laughs> I've arrived. I know you've all been waiting for me. It was, it was very much a little new school. You're the new girl, so just bide your time, just get used to it. Whereas I've seen with my sons, because interestingly enough, when we moved back to the UK, because I wanted them to have stability, and now they go, why couldn't they have lived the life I did? But I wanted them to have that stability. And I realized actually how very different, it, you know, in comparison, how very different our schooling was and how they can have trepidation, or they did when they were younger about going to a new school. Whereas I was like, exciting yeah yeah i mean i had the same when i was younger i wasn't a part of an raf family but i was always traveling around and then at the age of 12 we came back to the uk and it's funny because i always feel like i want this sort of level of stability and i suppose now more than ever with covid there is that sort of huge anxiety for change and something else and how does it feel for you i, I know the business will have gone in many different directions because of covid but yeah. just from your personal perspective, how does it feel from someone who likes a lot of change and obviously enjoys the travel? How have you been over this period? I think I've, I've made peace with not traveling. I think that's been the important thing. I've made peace with that because, and, um, and so I, I'm looking forward to traveling in the future. So for me, it's, I, I've made peace with it because I've been planning other trips and what I'll do on the trips and all of those things. But what I have done is I've really focused on home environment, where I am, where I love to work. You know, I've changed my office. I've moved from a completely different room and, and brought my office into the house, interestingly enough, because um, where I am now, I can see on the street, so I'm connected. You know, I can, so change that supports me. I'm really in favour, you know, not change for change's sake. I was hate everybody's thing, but I just like change because. But... What I have noticed is that I thrive in crisis. 
And so it's almost like there's a, a biblical quote, you know, for such a time as uh, such a time as this. And it feels like for me, it's like I was created for such a time as this, because what I'm good at is leading people through crisis. I'm good at making them feel that they can do it through crisis. And that is something that I learned by watching other people behind me in the military, you know, and, and in later years, actually participating in wife's club exercises because I married into the military as well. So you see it from a very different perspective and it's kind of, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. So yeah, it's, it's been an interesting time. And the biggest takeaway through this time is how I do thrive in that. So let's just go back a little bit, just before you were a business owner and you were in corporate. First of all, what were you doing in corporate? And second of all, what was it not giving you that having a business does? Yeah, so what I was doing was I was a training consultant. Uh, so I, a plethora of roles within there. But the, the main one was setting up the educational systems within corporate companies. So creme de la creme in, in London, where they needed training solutions. And what we would do way back in the day, we were calling them online learning, but they were not web-based, they were mainframe. Um, and we'd set up learning centres. So if, for example, at British Aerospace, we'd set it up so that all of the apprentices could come and do their training without having to go off site. And it, so it all be managed there. So that's what I was doing. I was managing whatever the client required in regards to their training. If they had a training requirement to get all of their apprentices to a social skills course, that was my responsibility. Because they were really clever kids, you know, that were going through, but they didn't have social skills. So, so there were things that they needed to, to do. What it didn't bring me was freedom actually so you know i i didn't know the color of my own front door i would leave so early and i'd get home so late that my childminder was spending more time with my children than i was she knew what they liked to eat more than i did you know and it'd be like i'd make something and one of them go i don't like this of course you like it no i told you it's like i don't remember them telling me anything like that i just had no no understanding of their likes and dislikes and it just got worse and worse. I disliked the hierarchy, I disliked the pressure, I just disliked the environment that I was working in and I loved it when I first started. So it is really an interesting question to ask because I'm thinking of it now and I'm filtering it through my last 24 months with them whereas the 13 years previously i absolutely loved it it was amazing it brought me opportunity it brought me travel it brought me wealth it brought me everything that most people would say that they desire you know and as a single parent at that time i had so much so much it was people thought i was crazy to to give it all up but it was the freedom it was the freedom aspect i really missed it yeah, you know, one thing I remember working in that world, which at one stage, like you, I loved, was I always had this ability to enjoy conversations socially. I was good at listening. I felt like I contributed and I just enjoyed being around my friends. And I just felt over a period of time that slowly dwindled away. So I stopped being able to process my own thoughts, I suppose, properly. So when I was out socially, I almost just downloaded just to get everything out, really sort of passive listen, which I hate. And from then felt like I couldn't really contribute or add more value to the conversation. So you're left feeling 
pretty empty inside. And ultimately you end up losing that sense of purpose because the job is no longer fun and you can't connect. That's a really good point, actually. I hadn't thought about that, but one of the things, now you've said it, I think because of the team that I worked in, I worked with the sales team. So my role was very consultative where I would, I'd get to know the client that I was working with down to the birthday of their youngest daughter, you know, that kind of thing. And, and the way that I, I worked then and the way that I encourage people to do it now is quite a, a close relationship in so much as if I saw a magazine article that I thought that client would like, I'd rip it out and cut it, you know, fold it and put a little note in there saying, I saw this, thought you'd be interested. So I really built up relationships, whereas working with the sales team, they didn't want me doing that. It's kind of like, we're done with that one now, let's move on. And it's like, and I, only in hindsight do I think, if you'd let me continue with that relationship, what else would have come out of that relationship? What other business could we have generated? But within the sales team, it was, let's get the next big fish, next big fish, next big fish. So that was a real frustration for me as well, because I felt like I was building up such a huge level of trust. I'm sure you had that as well, where you build up this amazing relationship, so much trust, and then it's like you're pulled away and, and moving on to the next project. So I would personally, I'd continue the communication. But as far as the business was concerned, that, that wasn't what they expected. It's kind of like, no, no, we need to go and do something else. And I didn't like that. I didn't like it at all. I thought that they, they could have and should have been a way that we could have fostered the relationship still. Yeah. And that makes it tough as well, because you know that the client doesn't like that either. And it doesn't bring you that level of satisfaction to the job that you were doing, especially as you'd had that in the past anyway. And the other thing that now, you know, now that I network so much more as well, and I was always networking, that's something I've realised, but I didn't call it that. But now that I realise, it's kind of, you know, people will remember you for everything you did, including abandoning them, you know. And it's, um, yeah, so that doesn't sit very well with me, but it is no. what it is. I want to go on to Athena. And what was it that made you start a networking business? You'd been in business prior to that anyway as a coach. What was it about networking that you really wanted to sort of deliver to people, to give as a service? Just explain a little bit of the Athena model. That was never my intention. So for first things first, I had no intention of developing a, a networking organisation or all of the things that you've just mentioned. What I wanted was to find an organisation that I really wanted to go to myself. That's what I was looking for. And so I was working with a business coach at the time and I was also working with a business advisor from, like there was a government funded one. And both of them had said, you need to network, which I, you know, I didn't really understand what they meant by need to network and go to these events. So I was going to the events and I really disliked them. There was so many layers of what I disliked about every one of them that I was going to. And I remember talking to Chris, my business coach, one evening, you know, giving him feedback, what have you done, what have you done well, etc. And I just said, Chris, this is absolutely pointless. Please let me put an ad in the yellow pages. That dates when it was all happening. But and I said, I just don't see the point. I it's a waste of time and energy. And and then my conversation pivoted to. To me saying, do you know what, Chris, if it was me 
this is how I would do it. And I would say, and I would do this, and I would do that, and I would do the other. And I really think that they need to get their act together. You know, and I literally picked every bit of the meeting that I would improve. And long story short, he just said, well, look, the skills and resources that you've got, why don't you just do it yourself? And it would just seem like the most ridiculous idea. But as I say, long story short, that is what I did because I couldn't find what I was looking for. And it was little things like the first networking event that I went to, I was all gussied up, I was in my car and I got that. And I really didn't want to go, it was, it was an act of will. I was making myself go to this event. And, and I got there and the, the lady who was at reception, for want of a better description, who was checking everybody in, barely looked at me and just went, yeah, you can stick your coat over there and everybody's through that room. And I was like, mm, okay. So, you know, I'm an introvert. I know I don't always come across as one, but I am an introvert. So I went to um, the ladies and I reapplied my lipstick. I picked up my bag, I picked up my coat and I left. And I just went home I just, because I felt so unwelcome. So when I was saying to Chris, I would do this, I would do that, I would do that. The first thing was, I'd make everybody feel like they were the most precious person in the room. And so that's something that for us at Athena is really intentional. Make everybody feel welcome. You know, it doesn't matter where you've come from, your background is anything. Just make everybody feel welcome. What is it about Athena? You just mentioned making everyone feel welcome. What would you say are the sort of key USPs that make Athena stand out from any other networking group out there? Yeah, I think it's a lot of it is in the preparation. One of the things that we do is we prepare people for meetings. We set expectations. We don't just go, do you want to come to a networking event? And then assume that you know what to expect at a networking event, which is how I felt all those years ago. It was like, it's all very well people saying come to an event, but it'd be nice if somebody told me what to do. So that's what we do. We make people have um, clear expectations, objectives for being there. It's a preparation. There is a huge coaching element to it. So for example, if somebody's coming to a meeting, I say to them, what are your three objectives for being there? And I'm like, I've never been asked that question before. And it's like, well, you really should think about it. Because if, you, if you're not clear about why you're coming, what I know is you won't get what you want. So get clear. What do you want out of the networking event? And that's something that I know back in the day, I mean, it may well be done by other networks now because it has proved to be so popular. But setting expectation, preparing them for the meeting, this is, this is where you get simple, simple things like um, when we're offline, this is how you find us, this is where you park your car, you can only pay by card, you can't use cash. That doesn't sound like a huge biggie, but imagine it's the first networking event you've ever been to and you don't know how it works, and somebody has just gone, it's okay, we've got you, park your car here, bring your cards, pay by, you know, pay by your credit card. When you come in, go up the stairs, we'll be on the right, or whatever it is. And it's like, they're just following the sat-nav of instructions, you know, they're doing what they're told. And then when they get there, it's like, the, you've arrived, and we're delighted to see you. And so I think that one of the key things is how inclusive we are. So whether you're you know, whatever culture you're from, whatever business background you, you have, then you're always going to be welcome at one of our meetings. And we make them feel good about that as well. 
Yeah, well, I can definitely attest to that. But for anyone out there who doesn't know about Athena, could you describe the sort of business model that you currently have? Yeah, so um, the business model that I have is that I created the Athena Network fully intending to be able to sell franchises of the Athena Network. So that, for me, was the only way that it was ever going to grow because I was just one person. I wasn't going to be able to run hundreds of meetings, which is what we have now, not on my own. And because I wanted a model that was intimate, I could have hired people to run those meetings for me. But I wanted it to be somebody who really cared about the, the members that they, they have. So what I did was I created a networking model. So I started with the first framework. What do I want the networking event to look like? Then what, what would it be like if I had more than one of those groups? And then what would it be like if I expanded into different counties? So each time I was doing that, I had to look at a different, a different layer of um, a you know, a different framework for, for each one of those layers, but making sure that it could be replicated. That was the key. So I didn't want what was happening in um, one area to be different than, than another. You know, the, so our branding, our, the striking magenta, if somebody decided, oh, I'd rather have a little bit of yellow in that and give it more of a bluish tinge, that's a big no. So it's very important to me that everybody recognise the, the branding as well. So for me, as a business model, franchising has... Uh, I delight in it. I love um, I love the opportunities that franchise bring. I love that I have the opportunity to create a model that other people can profit from as well. Anybody who's purchasing the franchise, then they're profiting from it. You know, they'll pay us a franchise fee, but then thereafter, then they're the business owner. They they run the territories. Do you remember a point when you just felt like, yes, this is working? Um. I think probably within 12 months, within 11 months, actually, it was within 11 months. And we we sold the first six franchises. And I was like, wow, it, it is actually possible. Because until that moment, it had just been a dream. And it, it was really wonderful to see that once I was doing the training with them, that as long as they followed the model, so it's always following the model, keep following the model, as long as they followed the model, then they would have the same success. So the first year in trading, our first year in trading was phenomenal financially. The growth was, was phenomenal. Um, and that was dreamlike. It just, you know, it just felt like it was unreal. So it was only when others actually bought into the franchise, it was like, oh yes, now, now we're there. Now we've actually done it, yeah. Well, it's been going for 15 years. How many franchises have you got now? So we've got um, 33 franchisees and uh, 40 plus territories because some of our franchisees are business owners of more than one, one territory. And what would you say over the years has been, can you pick out any specific challenges that there have been over the years? I know there have probably been countless, but any that stand out? I think the standout one was right at the beginning, actually, and that was the business advisor, the government-funded business advisor, who they they weren't giving us any money. I was assume, you know, um, 
bootstrapping it. We did get some later, I did get some for the franchising element, some funding, sorry. Um, who just said it will never work and and just berated me for all of the reasons, you know, who did I think I was, having a network for women only, that was sexist. And look, I still get that. And it's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> maybe it is. But it works, and I'm not going to defend a choice that I made. Arguably, I chose a niche. That's it. I just chose a niche. And, um, but that was, it was challenging, and it was disheartening for about 12 hours, like overnight. And then I was like, no, I will absolutely show you how wrong you are. And, you know, he does talk about it, or did, we're not in contact now, but he did talk about it and say I was. He said, in all the years that I've been doing business advice, he said, I, I couldn't have got it worse wrong. You know, it was just completely wrong. Um, that was a challenge. Uh, yeah, there have been so many. A challenging business partnership, that was very challenging as well. Um, when you say that, had, you had a business partner right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. Because I didn't think I understood enough about networking. So I think the challenge was there, two things. I didn't trust myself enough. I knew as far as the franchising, the training, the development, the coaching, and the sales, because we needed to sell the franchises as well. I knew that I had that all bound up in a bow, and I'd be okay with that. But the networking bit, I don't really understand this, but of course I did. So that was challenging. You know, when you're working with somebody else who you don't know very well either, which I didn't, then um, that it wasn't easy for either of us. It wasn't easy, yeah. And have you found, so kind of coming to this year, I imagine for the business, it's been challenging. It's been quite a change from meeting in person to taking everything on Zoom. What has been the result of this year for you? It has, yes, it was challenging. And because I've already shared my personality type prides on change and challenge. So it was um, not that I would wish, a, you know, COVID or a pandemic on anyone. Um, I think the biggest challenge for, for me as a leader was getting everybody to understand that they could do this virtually. So our meetings are usually held in beautiful venues and it, people get to see each other. You know, it's all face to face. But for us, I knew that we could do it online and I knew that we could do it online because I'd already been putting together a business plan for a virtual club. So that helped enormously, I have to say, because what I was able to do is go, here's the handbook, just follow the handbook and go through it. Um, yeah, so I'd already created a handbook for the virtual club. I'd already been working on a business plan for how we would have a virtual club, and which obviously would be totally online. So the evenings that we, we pivoted and we all went online, um, the UK was in a little bit of disarray, you know, will we, won't we go into, into lockdown? And it was my grandson's birthday party and, and my son who works with me in the business as well, all of a sudden our phones are just going bonkers with messages. So we looked at the messages and it was all about, have you seen the news? There's going to be an announcement. And I was like, okay, right, we need to exit the party. Fortunately, it was all wrapping up anyway. We need to exit the party and arrange an extraordinary meeting with all of our regional directors, our franchisees. And at first I thought, oh, just one of the one or two of them will turn up and then they'll pass the word along, which is what would normally happen. Every one of them were there. It was like, what do we do? 
you know, because their, their livelihood was at stake as well. So therein after, so we, we, we pivoted and we went online and that wasn't easy for some of them because they were not tech savvy. They are now definitely, but they, they were nervous about how they could actually manage the energy of the room when they're, when they're on Zoom. Um, but the question that you asked was about, you know, what, what good has come of it? And for me, it was that one evening really gelled us even more as a team. It's not that we're, we weren't gelled, but we, I think we'd taken each other for granted. Me as the franchisor, them as the franchisees taking us for granted. So that evening, it was a real kind of distinction in what happens. And thereafter, we had 10 year meetings every Monday to Friday. And it was just like, what's going on? What's the climate like out there? How can we help? What challenges are your members facing? How can we support them there? We couldn't all the time because it was something that was way, way out of our pay grade. Um, but for me, it, it felt good to be leading in that way. So I was able to share with them, you know, the vision that I had, that we would be able to thrive online, that we would be able to retain members and secure more members and, and that all of our members would have an amazing experience of networking. Even the ones who were like, don't think it's going to work. And I think the God drop for me was Past Plus. So Past Plus was in one of our 10 a.m. meetings, um, we were just taught, we, it was it was banter, because there was nothing structured. I didn't send them an agenda every morning. That's not my leadership style. It was just like, I'm here. What have you got? What's going on? And then the conversations would go, whichever the conversation went. And we were talking about in what way could we be of a higher level of service to our members. And I was really, really quiet. And so we said, yeah, Cassie, do you know, I'm just wondering, what do you think would happen if we let all of our members go to all of our meetings at no additional charge? Because we're online, why shouldn't they? And you could see the phase, it's like, I don't know, how's that going to work? Because then we had to look at the logistics as well. But do you know what? Again, every one of them, not one said, rubbish idea, not doing it. It was like, just how do we make it work then? So a lot of the time was creating the structure for making sure that it would work as well. And, um, and I loved that. I loved being able to be of service to regional directors and create a structure for them so that their business was able to continue, but even more than that, that their members' businesses would thrive as well so that they could go to any other, other meeting or as many as they wanted to. So members who would never have traveled more than maybe half an hour down the road to another meeting. They were traveling as far as Preston and Bournemouth, you know, but not never leaving their home. So that for me, I call it a God drop because it literally just landed. I was just sat there and was like, what if we did? And, uh, and I know from members, that is one of the key things that they will take away from, from this period of time, how that's helped them in their business. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, from personal experience, I think that was fantastic. There's so much great feedback from being able to have a conversation from down south in the UK to up in Scotland and being able to have that sort of link and communication and potential piece of business with someone. But there is nothing like a crisis to bring people together. You've mentioned leadership a couple of times. How do you feel that your leadership has grown since you've started Athena? 
Um, <laughs> it's grown and it's not always been great, if I'm to be completely honest. You know, I think my, the leading, sometimes I will, not now, but in the beginning, because I didn't know how to lead all of these people, but it, because we grew so quickly and we took on so many new franchisees so quickly, I didn't know how to manage them. It's kind of like, here's your manual, here's how it works, get on with it, you know. And so over the years, I've had to develop my leadership style. And the way that I've done it is by remembering what worked really well when I was in corporate, and that's building the relationship. So it is about, so again, you know, what do I know about their family? Can I talk to them about that? Not that I do all the time, but I, they know that I care about them. I know that they care about us as, as a business. Um, but one of the main things that I've learned as a leader over the years is where at the beginning I wasn't sharing the vision. It was kind of like, you don't need to worry about that. That's your little pocket of the world. Crack on with it. Now I know that they need to see the bigger vision. They need to see where we're going, what we're doing, how we're going to be doing it in the future. That doesn't always land well because I am so visionary and it can be out there. And when I say when we, I might be meaning in three years' time. <laughs> and they're going, wow, that's going to be amazing. Next week, month, you know, it's like, no, you know, it's. It's out there. I love working with my son for that reason because he's quite pragmatic. And he, so when I'm talking through what I'm going to share, there'll be an expectation you do that within a month or so. So oh, no, 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 no. I meant that for like next year, not not now. So I question my leadership all of the time. I don't mean question as in um, uh, I doubt. I mean I you know I'm reflective and and I think about how it is that I'm going to lead and and when I'm sharing something is that going to be of any interest to you or I, is my ego just got in the way? Look at this amazing idea I've just had. So I am quite reflective, but I do think that sharing the overall vision is is the most important thing. And and for me being a leader who coaches and trains as well. In fact, one of our regional directors sent me an email this week in actual fact, and she said, we're blessed. She said, we've got a franchisor who's a coach, a mentor, and a marketer. She said, we just have hit the honeypot. So, which was really lovely to receive, because I've never thought of myself like that. It's just like, I'm the franchisor, you know, doing what I need to do. Well, I suppose, and all eyes have probably been right on you right from the beginning of, well, sort of halfway through the beginning of this year. Yeah, and do you know, that's a really interesting point because I don't see myself as just being a leader for my regional directors or members. <clears throat> I definitely see, because I think that women's networking organisations are amazing. So connecting with other organisations and supporting them is really important to me as well, which some people think, are they not your competitors? It's like, no, because the, the more of us there are, the more, more of us who are providing that level of service, I think the better it's going to be for, for women and their families and their partners, you know, everything. It's such a growth mindset. It's like having a bar in the middle of the high street and wanting to be the only bar. But if you have 10 bars, you just bring more people. Exactly. And that's the way that I see it. Not everybody does, and I get that. So I've had some challenges with leadership. It's kind of like, oh, I don't know that I really want to do that. But no, I think for me, it's, and I love 
building relationships with other women in the same industry as well. Will I give them my trade secrets? Or I, no, of course not. But, but at the same, it's a bit like a bar. A bar's open, isn't it? That's it. So, yeah, they don't go, oh, by the way, this is the way we run our bar, just in case you needed to know how we run our bar. You don't do that. It's just like, this is brilliant. There's so many of us, you know, people are coming from everywhere. Mm. Jacqueline, I've loved what you've had to say. We're nearing the end of our conversation, but I do want to ask you just for anyone who's listening out there who's starting a business or just generally in the middle of their business, what three tips would you give anyone who is going into a network meeting? Into a networking meeting, yeah. So Stephen Covey, the seven habits of successful people. Oh my goodness, the one that has served me so well over the years, start with the end in mind. So when you're, when you're going to a networking event, you're not just thinking about that day, you're thinking about your strategy for the whole year. So I always encourage anybody who's going to start networking, think about your strategy for your business and how that fits in with your networking. So there's no point going to a networking event and talking about something that's completely out of alignment with your business plan. Make sure that it all, it complements each other. So start with, with the end in mind there. That would bring me on to the second one, and that would be what are your three key objectives? Because once you know what your your overall strategy is, then you can define those three key objectives. So, and, and to be honest, when I say that, one of mine is always to have fun and connect. So that's kind of like achieving one, although it's two. Um, so it's about connecting and having fun. I was at a meeting just before we spoke today, and I just love how it's passionate and fun and yet everybody is doing business at the same time um so having your objectives in play whatever those three are and then the most important one for networking what's your call to action so there's no point in going to a networking event if you haven't got a call to action so all of those actually marry each other really well having an overall vision then your three objectives and then honing it down to one call to action. What is it that you want everybody to do that month? Brilliant. I'm sure that's really helpful for a lot of people, including myself. Jacqueline, I've got some quick fire round questions for you. Are you up for it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you say that with trepidation. It is very lighthearted. It's what I do at the end of every podcast. So I will just start it off. It'll only take a few minutes, but what is your favorite morning drink? Oh, um, tea, but it would it would be <laughs> spicy chai is my favourite tea. What time do you go to bed? 9.30. Yeah, about 9.30, 10 o'clock. Uh, best all-time film? Oh, my goodness. Oh. Oh, Midnight Express. Good choice. Um, cats or dogs? Dogs. A trip to the Arctic or a drive in the Sahara? Oh, Sahara. <laughs> yeah. Your biggest fear? Um, driving off a bridge in my car and drowning underwater. Okay. I know. I mean, for me, I just thought of claustrophobia, but now I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm in the boot of the car and it's being driven off a bridge. <laughs> Not being able to get out. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that you enjoy most outside of work? Um, do you know what? There are things, I love theatre, I love films, I love music, 
I love create anything that's creative. There's no one thing. There's lots of creativity as long as it's got a creative aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And your mission in life is? I think it's continuing to empower other women and, and enabling them to appreciate that they are powerful already. They don't need anything outside of them. It's within them. Jacqueline, thank you so much for your time today and being on podcast. I know it will resonate with a lot of people. Thank you, Serena. It's been a pleasure. It's not often you hear someone talk about how they were created for such a time as this. This, just in case uh, you are listening in years to come, is the global pandemic, the COVID virus. But listening to Jacqueline talk, there is definitely a much needed role for someone to lead people in a time of crisis and no better than now. But that has always been the case. Whatever change has presented itself, Jacqueline went against the grain of panic and resistance and not only embraced change, but proactively led her team from the helm. This, as she admits, was largely due to her upbringing. Being a part of an RAF family meant change was frequent. So she had that buildup of resilience, understanding that change was good and adaptability to adjusting to community was inset from an early age. Talking to her about her corporate career, Jacqueline paints a really vivid picture of the lack of freedom that so many of us have experienced, do experience, that comes along with having a job in the corporate world. Not noticing the colour of her front door because of the hour that she left in the morning and returned home in the evening. I think I can really relate to that. Her childminder knowing what her kids like to eat more than she did. Having left the corporate world and coached for a while, Jacqueline naturally would attend networking events, never having the intention to run one, but saw a problem in the market. She couldn't find what she was looking for. And I do like her story about, you know, how she went into one networking meeting. She didn't really feel very welcome, went to the bathroom, came back out and just left. It was key for her when she started her own networking business to make sure that everyone in the room felt like they were the most precious person in that room. She did give us a few tips that I'll talk about now. Three tips from Jacqueline to get the most out of your networking. So tip number one, start with the end in mind. This comes from Jack Canfield's The Success Principles, which if you haven't read it, it is brilliant. Start with the end in mind. So Jacqueline tells you to think about strategy for the business and how it will fit into your networking. Tip number two, what are your three key objectives? So once you know what your strategy is, you can define those three key objectives. You know, she gave an example. One could just be have fun and connect. And the third, what is your call to action? And honestly, from experience, the more simple and direct, the more likely you are going to have responses from people. People relate well to simple and direct. On another note, I think we have a tendency to see a successful business and feel like it's problemless. Now, intellectually, we know that every business, like every family, every challenge comes with its own set of problems. But that doesn't stop us having the initial thought that life in a successful business is rosy. And Jacqueline's Athena network is no different. Jacqueline spoke about her challenges with the government funded business advisor not giving her any money. 
a partnership that didn't work, COVID that brought all the business to fall online. But with each challenge that is faced, it's almost never the problem that is the issue. It is how you approach the solution. And with Jacqueline's crisis leading mindset, each bump along the way seems from speaking to her, seems to be a challenge accepted. I find more often than not, the byproducts of overcoming these bumps lead us into great steed for the future. So just a couple of examples that Jacqueline shared. Confidence comes from running a business without a partner. Resilience from having a business advisor who said it will never work. And camaraderie from her team and closeness like the business has never experienced before due to the major shift in business structure Athena has had to adapt to during COVID. Not to mention the advantages to the clients that have the ability now to network all over the UK from the comfort of their home. Well, I'm going to leave it there. I want to thank my fantastic guest, Jacqueline Rogers. We had a great chat during the podcast and a great chat afterwards. So thank you, Jacqueline. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast, I would love it if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and leave an honest review. We know that there are so many people picking up podcasts now, so it's so important to get the podcast up and noticed. So please head over to Apple Podcasts, rate and leave an honest review. And once you've done that, head over to my website, www.serenadod.com forward slash podcast. That's www.serenadod.com forward slash podcast. Click Ask Serena. Let me know that you've rated and reviewed my podcast and I will put you in a draw next week so that you can have a one-on-one coaching session with me and we can really get deep into what goals you really want to achieve over the next 90 days. In the meantime, I hope you're taking lead of your day and making it so driven. Mm -hmm.